Welcome to the podcast of River City Community Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.rivercitychicago.com. So this will help me a lot. Everybody can stand up. And this is what I tell the kids at um, Little Theater. Just shake off the sillies. And then give somebody next to you a hug. This is for me. Thank you. (laughs) And all I have to say is Zambia 2019. Yeah? Yeah? So elders, you guys can go ahead and itemize that in the budget in your next meeting or whatever you have to do. Figure it out. Um, so thank you for sharing that princess. Appreciate it. I'm just going to open in prayer. Um, God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for, um, my community. Thank you for the grace that we all have for each other for, um, for every moment, whether big or small. I just ask that your spirit would be very present this morning, that you would be here, that you'd speak to me, that you'd speak through me and that you would speak to all of our hearts. Amen. Um, so it's weird because usually I'm running around in the back on Sunday mornings, and um, the only time that I'm ever actually in the service all the way through is when I'm preaching. <laughs> so I don't actually know, like, this. a lot of these things are new to me, like, I don't know when offering takes, like, I don't, so I'm just, like, sitting there waiting and waiting, and I never know when I'm actually going to go up, and then, you know, whenever you guys, I don't know if you guys know that, notice this Aaron's head nods that he does all the time, they're really subtle, but those are our cues because we don't have dress rehearsal. <laughs> They're very helpful. Um, So if you guys have been here this summer, you know we've been in the Psalm series, and um, it's been really great. I've just been kind of listening to the podcast afterwards and just following up on Daniel's teachings and um, Arloa's and Shamika's, and it's just, it's been really good. For me, I know that, um, you know, it's, the Psalms, as you guys already know, is a collection of poetry, lyrics, songs, music. I think there's something really powerful about when music is being put to words. I think that there's a reason that the Psalms is the most quoted um, book in the New Testament. Um, but all that to say, so I just want to say, I, I believe that it's a very beautiful and powerful book. But I will confess that um, I'm the kind of person that um, the Psalms was never my first choice of book to go to when I would kind of like decide to like read scripture and open up and dig in. Um, but that's only because I like narrative form stories. I like history. And so um, I think I'm just confessing that I, I didn't read the Psalms very much. <laughs> so um, as, I, as I, you know, was reading Psalms to prepare for this and just, like, going through it, um, I was thinking about, you know, I was trying to, like, have some context for what it was saying. And we know that, um, we don't know who all the authors of the Psalms are, but we know that David, um, we can safely assume that he wrote most of them, if not over half of them. And so with kind of David in mind, I was reading through the Psalms, and I think I, I was, I'll admit, I was surprised to have been a little thrown off because, um, you know, you go from one psalm to another to another, and because I didn't read it very much, I, I, I felt like I couldn't keep up with David 
Because I feel like one, one Psalm, he would be like, God, you are awe-inspiring and majestic and splendorous. And then literally the next one, he would be like, how long will you forget me forever? I'm like parched land. And my heart is so dismayed. Like, I guess I just was like, I felt like I was like listening to a Drake album. Like, <laughs> just like, um, he was like, I, and, and I'll admit, like, I had, I kind of had an attitude with him when I was reading it. Cause I was like, dude, like you are all over the place. Like, you're King David, get yourself together. Like, what is going on? Um, and that is when I realized that I have this very kind of specific, almost like stereotypically masculine view of who I thought David was in my head, which explains why before this, I didn't really like him very much. <laughs> so I actually this morning chose to study, well, this week chose to study the passage of Psalm 51. Um, which helped me shed a lot of light on the things that were coming up inside of me as I was reading through the Psalms. And so um, if you guys actually stand up with me and we'll read it. For those of you guys who are already familiar with this Psalm, um, it is the prayer that he prayed to God um, after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. So just, and we'll go into that a bit more, but just keep that in mind and we'll just read it together. I don't know if it's up, but Okay. Um, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict, and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Um, That is the word of God. You may be seated. So I'm new to preaching, and so I'm still, like, learning, and I think, like, I feel like you know you made it when you can stand up here and, like, ask for stuff, you know, like ask somebody to bring you water and stuff. I'm not there yet. So when you're you're kind of um, in learning all this, when you're kind of assigned a passage or, like, a theme that you have to go with, um, oftentimes, like, you find that it's not always easy to, to, if you have to kind of in line with something else, not, not something that you already kind of have been feeling in your heart, like, you find that it's, like, it's not always easy to come up with something authentic. And so you, you have to be really honest with yourselves about the things in the Bible that you don't like. And so I feel really vulnerable this morning because I feel like this message came from a place of, just like deep wrestling with with this with this passage, and it was it's a passage that I always kind of had a hard time um, understanding, or not just the passage, just the, the theme. And so um, I just to just give a little bit of context. A little bit of context. 
I learned a lot about Christianity from mostly like white evangelical spaces. And as a woman of color, when you are, um, you are in these spaces learning, you're, you're exposed to a lot of misinformed theology. And honestly, theology that isn't just misinformed, but, but sometimes like extremely harmful to who you are. And so you spend a lot of time afterwards when you realize what happened, kind of deconstructing all of that. And it's interesting because the more, the more deconstruction work I do, the more I realize, like, oh, I'm probably approaching the end of the road. And then always something else comes up where I'm like, wow, like, I really, I really missed that one. And so this is, and, and this ended up being um, a deconstructing moment for me. And so um, looking back in, my, in these spaces where I learned about who David was, I remembered that David was always taught to me as this um, great king who was uh, valiant in his kind of demeanor, and he was, um, you know, he like started from the bottom. He was a shepherd boy, and then he, you know, one one act of obedience after another, he was able to kind of like make his way up, and then he was he eventually becomes a king of Israel, and he was just this. And some of you guys know this who study David in, in, in similar spaces. He he just becomes this icon for like heroism and valor and um, like there's almost this imagery of like a humble warrior hero and that with God on his side, like he can do just about anything. He can he can win wars. He can kill giants. Like he he was just labeled like he he was this kind of persona in my mind as I was reading the Psalms, and then God, um, you know as you guys know, some of you labels him as a man after, right? So, yeah. So that's like a, something that we all kind of, a, a lot of us are familiar with, just God kind of labeling David as a man after his own heart. And so I remember I went to Bible college, and so in Bible college, I just remember um, they always had these, like you'd go into like the, the Lifeway bookstores or whatever, like the Christian bookstores, and they always had these like Christian devotional workbooks. Because people in Bible college really love devotional workbooks. No shade if you love devotional workbooks. <laughs> you do you. Whatever brings you closer to the kingdom. Seriously, no shade. But um, in, I remember in these Bible devotional workbooks, there, there was one that was titled How to Be a Man or Woman After God's Own Heart. And if I flipped through it, and there was always these, like, David-esque kind of qualities. And um, in a sense, like, you know, they would give you a little quality in all these lines so you can journal about it. And, like, if, you, if or if not you're fulfilling this, you know, deed and how, and that kind of like brings you to this place where to me felt like just like, it was just a way to like pave yourself to becoming teacher's pet. That's how it felt to me. Um, and so I was always, I, I was always too rebellious to be the teacher's pet. So maybe that's the reason I don't like David. Maybe I was just jealous, but, um, no, that's not why, but there's, um, there was one, there lingered one David story that I, could never completely, like, wrap my mind around. And that was the story of when David raped Bathsheba. And for me, you know, even in, in you, as you're studying about David, even amidst all of David's valor, like, people knew he was messed up. Like, they knew he did bad things. But even in that, they always had, there, I felt like there was always a case for why, to justify why David did what he did. So to me, it was always taught to me, like, you know, David did all these great things, but then he also did all these really bad things, and so, like, therefore, like, you know, David rapes Bathsheba, he sinned, so he's a sinner just like you and I, like, we're, like, he's relatable, and I, and I would just listen to that, and I'd be like, well, relatable, like, I don't feel like I relate to that part of David at all, like, 
Like, as a woman, I'm like, if anything, I, I relate more to Bathsheba in the story than David. And, and I never completely understood that. And so it's, if, I, if I had to be honest with myself, I had a major problem with this view. Um, so much so that I never really wanted to dig into it or look much into it because it just, it just irked me in my soul and I didn't understand it. But in order to, nature, to understand the nature of this psalm, I think we have to, we have to just kind of face it for what it is and, and go back into the context of what actually happened with David and Bathsheba. Um, and it's really long, so I'm just going to read like a portion of it um, and then kind of fill in as, we, as it goes. And I don't know if I gave you 2 Samuel 12, uh, 11, 2 through 5. Okay, sorry, Shavion. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to get in trouble because Shavion's up there. All right, so... It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. Then he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And she, and one said, Not this Bathsheba, the, the daughter of Eliam and wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So sometimes I think when you read passages like this that are only like three or four sentences long, <laughs> you kind of brush past them because they, you read them so quickly. But I think that you miss out, like for me at least, if I read them quickly and I move on to the next thing, I miss out on the magnitude of what actually, was, what actually happened in those four or five sentences. And so this morning I'm just going to ask that we sit in kind of like what happened chronologically and think about the impact of each thing in that passage. And so... We know David was walking around on his roof. At this point, he had already been crowned king of Israel. He's walking around his roof. He looks and he sees on this other roof this woman bathing. Um, and this passage says to us that he finds her really attractive. So somehow, in that moment, a seed is planted in his mind that he is attracted to this woman and that, and that he wants her. He just starts feeling desires for her. And then this is how disturbing this part of the story is to me is in that moment, David lingers in that thought for long enough that the seed grows, and then the thought, the small thought of, oh, I'm attracted to this woman, becomes, I must have this woman, I must have sex with this woman who's naked at all costs. So that is how that thought festered in David's mind, and I think we have to kind of call it what it is. And so then comes, then begins David's abuse of power. When I think when he, so when he sends the servant to go find out who she is, and then he finds out she's the wife of one of his most loyal soldiers, and that didn't change anything for him, like, that's significant, and I think that goes to show that, um, and I think this is really interesting, because David was, David had previously been on the other side of power. It's not like he didn't know what it was like. You'd think he would be very aware of kind of the impact of this, but I think this is what power does to people. This level of power, I think, blinds you so quickly to anything outside of yourself that even in that moment for David, nothing else mattered but to have this woman. And he was willing to chuck out his morality, his relationship with this loyal soldier, and honestly, like, the safety of his country, right, ultimately? Like, that's, that's, kind, of what, that's kind of what he was willing to give up for this, just this thing that he wanted so badly. And not only that, he's so powerful at this point that he doesn't actually have to do his own dirty work. So he sends this servant, whoever this man, woman was, um, to go, and, the, and the, the scripture says to go take her. It doesn't say ask her. It says to go take her and to bring her back into his chambers where then he, it says he sleeps with her without her consent, 
which means he rapes her. And again, it's really important for us to talk about what it is and call it what it is. So after that, he proceeds to send her back without any intention of being with her. The things the powerful can do, right? So I look at all this and I review it in my head and I can't help but to wonder where have we seen this before? I don't know, modern day. <laughs> like, this, these are the classic mainstream cases for sexual misconduct. David was one of the original, the original Harvey Weinstein's, Larry Nassar, Donald Trump. Like this is the, this is the degree of, of sin that he participated in. And, you know, these cases, as, and you, you guys know how it goes, like these things come up and these cases always take place in settings where there's a power structure that protects any predatory behavior of the people who are on the top. And so, you know, this is what happens. A scandal comes out somewhere and then like years later we find out that all these women um, speak up and they say, you know what, like I also had personal experiences with sexual abuse with this man um, and, you know, this is, in, in recent years, like, we've seen so much of this, and you can't help but to wonder why these women waited so long to say something. Like, why has it been years before anything came up? And it's because they can't. <laughs> like, the system is set up in favor of these men so that their power is the one thing that protects them from the accountability of rape. And so that is why in these spaces there are so many methodologies for silencing women including, and even in churches, right, including shaming, including bribing, including threatening. Bathsheba wasn't going to be able to reject him. He was the king of Israel. What was she going to do? What was going to happen to her? Who would even believe her? She had, and, and even if she did, she had too much to lose. She has no options here. She was a slave to his desires, completely outside of any will of her own, because of her powerlessness in the situation. And so, this, when you look at this, when we breeze through these three, four sentences, we have to realize this is the graphic nature of David's misogyny. And we need to call it what it is. Because the crazy thing is, guys, it gets even worse. <laughs> and I didn't know this, but, you know, they always told me, well, David confessed his sin and whatnot. And I'm like, yeah, but you know what? He didn't do that until after he was caught. So God sends this guy, Nathan, to him. And Nathan this prophet comes up to him, and, he, and he's like, he sends him over there with a riddle. And he's like, okay, there was a rich man and a poor man. And I'm summarizing here. So I'm not going to read it. The rich man does the poor man wrong. Um, and so what do you think about that? And David's like, well, that's, that's bogus. The rich man did the poor man bogus. So he actually should die and be killed. And so Nathan's like, all right, cool. Well, guess what? You're the rich man. And then all of a sudden, David's like, oh, Lord, I have sinned against you. You know, like, I don't, like, he did not... It, who knows if he would have confessed to the Lord if he hadn't been caught? We don't know. I have no reason to believe that he would. And so I think it's really important for us to talk about that. And so, as you can see, this passage caused a lot of unspoken tension between me and God. <laughs> because I'm confused. Is this what a man after God's own heart looks like? Because... Honestly, if I had been granted the ability to nickname David, he would have been a man after something else. <laughs> because to me, as a woman, the depth of this sin is not dismissible. I mean, David just gave Bathsheba a Me Too moment, right? Am I right? So, as a woman, what am I supposed to do with this passage? 
When God has called this a man after his own heart, how am I as a woman supposed to reconcile with this? Because at this point, I honestly don't care how many giants David killed. He could have killed 300 giants on a hill, and I still wouldn't have felt safe with him in a room. And so it's really important for us to name how deeply and how horrendously David dehumanized Bathsheba. Because that changes everything about the way we view God's response to him. So there's a problem here. I think we've given David too much credit for why God calls him a man after his own heart. I think if we wanted to believe that David was merited this heroic title for his heroic ways, then we would have to. There's no way we could do that without compressing the brutality of this story, which, honestly, my spirit just cannot do. So for every good deed that he did, to me, this one was bad enough to cancel all those out. So it doesn't actually make any logical sense that David's actions were what merited him this label that he was a man after God's own heart. It doesn't. It doesn't make any gospel sense. Which brings me back to this psalm. I ended up being really thankful for this psalm because it gave me, it allowed me to find what little compassion I had left in my heart for David. And um, it gave me a look into David's soul. Because when you read this psalm, and we just did, we see here that David is broken that he is at rock bottom. Somehow he is able to, through I don't know what counseling, who knows, he realizes the impact of his sin, that he has, he realizes that his personal violation wasn't just to Bathsheba, but it was to himself. It was to God who loves Bathsheba, who created her beautiful and in his image. He violated a lot of people. He violated God. When he recognizes the depth of his evil, he talks about how he was sinful at birth, how he had done evil, how he feels dirty. He begs God to make him clean. And so when I look at this, I see a wrecked David, broken and wrecked and messed up. And if I had to take any guess about why God called David a man after his own heart, it had nothing to do with his valor and everything to do with his brokenness. God's response to him was gracious. David was never the hero here. God was. God chose to forgive David, and he chose to hear his cries, and he chose to meet him in the most broken place. And the label wasn't this trophy that David had acquired. It was a declaration that God still loved him regardless of his mess. And his mess was deep. So why do we feel the need to make David look better than he was? Because the more I looked at this passage, the more I read about it, I realized, actually, David doesn't make himself look better than he was. God doesn't make him look better than he was. We did that. Why did we, why, why did we feel the need to do that? And this, to me, just goes to show that we are all still so confused about grace that we still need a process for liberation rather than letting love liberate us from the process. Our hearts, in our hearts, we still think it's because of who we are and what we do that lines us up with God. We cannot handle our own brokenness. We don't actually know what to do with it. I mean, David in the, in, the, in the end of his passage says, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. <laughs> David's brokenness was what lined him, lined him up with the heart of God, not his heroic deeds. And here are the reasons I think it's really dangerous to elevate the heroic David and not the broken David. 
One, because I think it makes it tempting for us to underwhelm the magnitude of the sin that David committed with Bathsheba. And I think that in this case, it was, it, was, it was a sinful case of sexual violation, right? And the minute there is any room to scale an offense that serious makes way for societal permission to participate in the abuse of women and their wills and their bodies. The other thing is, I think it makes it so that we think we are the ones, we become empowered to be the dictators of what it means to be in line with God's heart. And the gospel truth is, we already know. We can't do anything to be in line with God's heart. There's nothing we can do on our own power, our own will. David couldn't. He was the most powerful man in Israel. He couldn't do it. There's nothing we can do in our own power to acquire spiritual wholeness with God. And that it is only from a broken place are we able to access the fullness of God's grace. Amen.
days on earth I will away The moment that I see you face to face Nothing in this world will satisfy Jesus, you're the cup that won't run dry Nothing world will satisfy oh Jesus Jesus you're 